Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is the 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Kuden. Great to have uh, all the folks with us who are live on the program. And, uh, of course, they always have the chance to jump in, ask questions, and uh, we take your questions all week long through our Facebook page and uh, other avenues in which you can reach us. So uh, it's your questions that kind of fuel the show. I'm Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller. How are you doing, sir? I'm fine. I, You know, I was just, I guess, I mean, this time paying attention to the opening because, you know, it's it's a pretty cool thing. Got some Japanese music going on and all that. And I know I've, you know, mentioned before that I'm not a big fan of the word shihan, and that's for another conversation where people can mm. go back through the old things, right? But uh, I just realized that, uh, and it's not incorrect, that uh, you've listed that my martial arts uh, career spans over 30 years, and I just started using my fingers. And um, <laughs> this is my 43rd year in the martial arts. Wow. 43 years. How old are you? I am 37. Yeah, see, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) So the training in the martial arts in junior high school in 1975. Wow. Where were you in 1975? Floating through the universe somewhere. (laughs) I'm thinking to start asking that question. (laughs) It looks like it back or classic. Uh, uh. <laughs> anyway, all right. <laughs> so cool beans. Yeah, forty-three freaking years. Jesus, Christ. first time gone. Well, wow, time's gone. But anyway, that just that's that quite, just gives me a lot of accomplishment. Yeah, well, considering that uh, you know, and I, I share this with instructors all the time, and you you went through the instructor training program. Um, mm-hmm. The statistics that I think it's. Um, well, I've got several statistics that, that uh, I share with people during that program. One is that the average person who gets involved in a program has been thinking about taking martial arts for an average of one year before mm. they actually take action, okay? an average, right? Some people have been thinking that that year could have been, you know, 30-second uh, spasms or, or, uh, or uh, whatever, you know, uh, seizures. Uh, over the course of a lifetime, but anyway, it's about a year, right? Um, and then when when people do join, right, the first major drop-off for people in training is within the first 100 days. Hmm. If they hmm. last the first 100 days, the next is dropping off somewhere between uh, month four and month 11. And that's it for those who train consistently. So if you wow. stay past month 11, what we find is that people tend to really stick with it, right? And they just jump in all in, right? But then the next big drop-off is on promotion to Shodan. And 
the mentality is, you know, they were aiming for a black belt. They got their black belt. doesn't matter that there's four or nine or whatever more black belt levels to go. Um, they got what they aimed for. And um, I, just, I just saw something the other day by, uh, I think he's a business coach that I, uh, I admire a lot. And uh, he cautions people to uh, be careful with setting goals. You just might hit them. Hmm. Right. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So I, I guess 43 years is, uh, you know, I don't have anything on Hatsumi said day. He started training when he was five, born in 31. So do the math, right? Wow. So he's been training in the martial arts since 1936. And here we are in 2018. So I, I think he has me by a couple of years. Well, and I'll just ask the question because I think, you know, others listening in right now are probably thinking this out loud. Um, you know, going back 43 years, you mentioned kind of jumping in in your junior high years. Was it yeah, ninjutsu that you discovered first or was it some other form of martial art you started with? Oh, no. Uh, Stephen Hayes was still sampling ninjutsu the first time, I think, in 75 or 78 or something like that. So mm. uh, ninjutsu didn't hit our shores outside of his Taekwondo school. Um, well, I guess that's what he did first. He went and did a trip, came back, and started a little training group in his Taekwondo school in Atlanta, Georgia. And the only way to get into that group was to already be a black belt in what he was already teaching because wow. he um, he understood back then that, you know, this, this martial art was really started – where other ones had already, you know, you were either in the middle or uh, had advanced quite a lot because there's nothing in our scrolls that is really for the beginner beginner. That It all starts with people that already understand how to fight. So it's a, it's a very different kind of approach, right? Um, and then I think he went for the first time in 75, came back, he's running a training group. That's how Bud Malmstrom got involved. Uh, but... Uh, Joshi Malmstrom's um, thing was uh, he was watching what these guys were doing over the corner, and that was all, like, what he signed up for. He didn't want to be doing this other stuff. So he said, I want to do that. And they said, you can't, not until you're a black belt. And he kept asking, and finally he said, well, fine, fuck it. If I can't do that, I quit. Um, hmm. And so they reluctantly let him train, but that's just a you know, sign of his personality. So. Um, <laughs> but then uh, at one point, I think it was in seventy. Eight, maybe. Uh, Stephen Hayes uh, had gone through a divorce, uh, sold uh, his house, closed the school, or turned it over to, to other students or something like that, and hmm. packed up everything that he then owned that he didn't sell, which basically fit in a duffel bag, and uh, went off to Japan to train in ninjutsu, and um, went through a, an entire unlearning and relearning process. So, uh, so yeah, it wasn't. 75 for me. I started out in a karate club uh, that was done as an after-school intramural kind of thing uh, in my junior high school, uh, much to the chagrin of my abusive stepfather. And mm. um, so uh, here's the way it worked. Uh, the class only met after school one day a week on Wednesdays. So school was over within 20 minutes, 30 minutes or whatever. Uh, we all met for a thing. Some people went to chess club. Some people went to photography club. So whatever, right? And uh, I went to martial arts club. And uh, it was a really hard style. Um, I don't think it was Shotokan. Uh, 
uh, I don't even remember what it was. Anymore. No, Goju-Ryu. Goju-Ryu, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, very hard style stuff, but I was a very non-athletic kid. So that felt very powerful to me. I mean, it was just, you know, mm. my thing, right? And so um, the way it worked was uh, my stepdad had a really hard, fast rule. If you're late coming home from school, you're grounded for a week. So on Wednesdays, uh, this is one of those things that I can't explain it because I was not, I was like the diary of a wimpy kid and then some. Okay. Mm. So, but there's always been something in my heart um, that when I'm passionate about something or I feel like it's the right thing, whether I can explain that or not, I'm all in. So mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of sets me aside from I, I think the mainstream because most people need a uh, fear of punishment, promise of a reward kind of system to do something, right? Um, and maybe it was just an altruistic thing that I wanted to develop the powers to stop people like him from hurting people like what I used to be. So anyway, it doesn't really matter at this point, but uh, I uh, would go to karate class, go home, get grounded for a week, be off grounding the very next Wednesday, go to karate <laughs> class, go home, get grounded, and that went on until the karate class disbanded for what I never knew was the reason. It just stopped at one point, and I don't know if it was a thing between the instructor and the school. I have no idea. Um, but, um, yeah, so that's how I got started. And then um, I, you know, screwed around with friends and stuff between that and high school, but it wasn't until I let me see, it was in high school and then I went out into the military and uh, my first duty station was in South Korea. And um, there were two, at that point, there were two training groups on the installation where I was stationed. There was a form of Kung Fu and there was a form, and then there was uh, Taekwondo. I was in Korea, so of course there was Taekwondo. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So I bounced, be- I started out in the Kung Fu thing because <laughs> maybe it was an ODD thing. I was just oppositional defiant. Um, you know, I'm in Korea. That doesn't mean I need to be forced to train in Taekwondo or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so I jumped into Kung Fu first, and the movements just did not fit. I mean, you got to remember, at this point, I'm a military policeman, right? There are things you can and cannot do and, you know, whatever, and it just was not – wasn't fitting. And then mm. so I decided reluctantly, okay, I'll go do the Kung Fu thing. And so I did that, and then uh, some other things kind of popped up. Remember, this is, uh, and again, I'm dating myself a lot. Some people have no idea about this. Not only was there no Internet, but uh, it was very difficult to find anything other than, like, martial arts magazines, and there were only a couple of them here and there, and video was hard to come by as well, right? So there were books and there were magazines. Um, But in between, I would say, my mid-high school years, through that military service, I, I, man, I went through not literally the who's who of martial arts, but I did everything from uh, jiu-jitsu to some Aikido uh, uh, to uh, Jeet Kune Do, uh, the system mm. that uh, uh, Bruce Lee had uh, uh, yeah. created, uh, Taekwondo, two or three other forms of Kung Fu. So it was a journey. Uh, but, see, as a both a, a, a well, we'll use the term because it's popular today, as a, as a victim of domestic violence, which is not always, you know, 
spouse on spouse kind of thing. It's often adult on children too. So, um, so as a victim of that and uh, just you know the fodder for any bully that you know wanted to copy off my test papers or wanted me to do his homework or whatever for him in school, and I either didn't or screwed it up for him, so he got bad grades anyway, and then got beat mm-hmm. up for that. Um, I knew what violence looked like, and I knew what violence felt like. So it was really difficult to pull a, you know, pull a sheet over my eyes and convince me that it looked different than that. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that a lot of people don't have when they get involved in martial arts. <coughs> they, they don't have any experience in violence. Not that they have yeah. to be violent people, but they've never been on the receiving end. Uh, you know, it's cool, or they have a theoretical fear of being attacked because they understand that crime exists and all that, but they don't have any direct experience. And, and very mm-hmm. few of them, um, they, they, they don't even have, well, not very few, very few don't have, don't even have um, uh, indirect experience where it's somebody that they know, you know, like a close friend or a family member, whatever, they got beat up or attacked or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so my litmus test and my bullshit meter were, were very, they were very strong in this one. So, mm. so uh, yeah, so when I landed on Nidatu, uh at least the way it was being trained in the um, late 70s, early 80s, that made all the difference in the world because I'm not sure, this, this is going to ruffle some feathers, but I'm not sure, and I've had students tell me the same thing because they almost made the same decision. Had I been looking for the art now, without any prior experience um, in martial arts, but the same kind of experience in violence in the world, and looking at what a lot of people are doing in the name of this art, um, I wouldn't see a difference between it and other arts um, other than, you know, the the stances and the, you know, the quote-unquote style, right? Because it's become hmm. a become a stylized, uh, version of itself in the name of freedom, so uh, freedom of movement. So some people are on one side where it's just so free-moving and out there that they just feel free to mix it with whatever, right? And I've yeah. seen that. They post videos. And other people are on the other side where it's a hard, fast kata, and uh, eventually you'll get to the adaptive part and all that. So anyway, uh, I'm not here to advocate for any given training uh, thing. But, yeah, so I've, I've been around and done quite a bit. But 43 years, holy shit. I'm old. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm 55, so um, I started when I was, what, 12? Yeah, 12. Wow. 12, yeah. Later than my kids started. My kids started about somewhere between two and a half and three because they didn't have a choice. So um, that also comes from dad understanding um, what the world is like, and then putting on a uniform in the military and law enforcement, and really understanding how bad people, which is actually yeah. uh, when I was uh, talking to Steve before class started. Uh, there was a class I just did for my Friday morning group that was actually supposed to be done for the Tuesday group um, that was entirely based on the uh, author's preface in the first book that Hatsumi Sensei had published in uh, the West here called Ninja Two History and Tradition. And uh, most people skip over the, you know, things like the introduction and the author's preference or preface because they want to jump right into uh, the, picture, the technique pictures, you know, the good stuff, right? And yeah. 
just that little three-paragraph preface is just chock full of little nugget things, and one of those little nuggets is about the necessity to confront uh, fear, fear of violence, fear of assault. Why is it in front of me? Probably not going to Uh, so I get her having multiple copies of the same book. Oh. One's in the home office, one's here at the dojo office. Uh, let's see, where's the line here? Um, there's actually two of them. One is... Hmm. Personal enlightenment can only come about through total immersion in the martial tradition as a way of living. It's not that one. By experiencing the confrontation of danger, the transcendence of fear or injury or death, and a working knowledge of individual personal powers and limitations, the practitioner of ninjutsu can gain the strength and invincibility that permit enjoyment of the flowers, moving in the wind, appreciation of love of others, and contentment with the presence of peace in society. That sounds like all woo-woo and neat and everything, but... The last part of that is really about the benefits you get after coming to an intimate knowledge and experience with being able to literally, really overcome fear, overcome fear or overcome the fear of injury, overcome the fear of death, uh, mm. and to be able to um, not really be able to, but through the experience of the tempering of, of confronting danger. Not running from it, not getting not getting to a safe space, not anything like that. Just you know, not folding because somebody's angry at you or walking on eggshells or whatever. That doesn't mean you become an arrogant ass. You don't become a hardened, um, you know, uh, killer or whatever. It's about recognizing that you know you you have these abilities, but there is the tempering process that comes from that uh, that confrontation, right? So yeah. Uh, where for a long period of my life, and I brought up my stepfather and his abuse and things like that, um, uh, growing up, you know, um, I'm pretty sure that I borderline on actually hating a human being, uh, which I really try not to do because it's easier to just put some distance between me and them. Uh, but uh, I had a, had a kind of a turning point in my life where um, it's that, that – that almost hate turned to mm, almost love. <laughs> it turned to an appreciation because there's things that I've had to deal with in my life that had I had a different, um, had he been different, had he been more nurturing or whatever, um, I'm not sure I'd have been able to get through those things because mm-hmm. he, let's just say he provided experiences that allowed me to um, understand human nature, to be able to position myself properly. And Hasumi Sensei has the same kind of stories about his dad, right? Mm. Uh, th- these things are not they're not uh, unique to me or anything like that. But yeah, so uh, yeah. Anyway, hmm. so uh, well, you're on the you're on the list for the uh, those those uh, lessons that are for my long distance, my platinum people, and all that. So you'll mm-hmm. you'll get it. You'll be able to listen to the recordings. Um, but my, my big thing, the big takeaway for that for everybody is be careful what you pick and choose from and be careful how much you jump over. Because that confrontation hmm. of danger statement 
equally applies to, quote-unquote, soft training. And that doesn't mean you need to always jump in a class where you're beating each other into the ground, but you need to be sure through your training, through the tempering process, that if you don't move, you're going to get hit and not nicely, yeah. right? That your partner's not going to pull a punch or veer away or stop because they don't want to hit you any more than you want to get hit and or they don't want to hit you because if they actually land one, then you'll try to land one on them. Well, duh, you should be trying to land the punch. It's what keeps everybody honest. Yeah. Right? Um, and I've, luckily I've had some teachers that uh, made that point very well. I remember, uh, I think it was Tai Kai 2000, no, it wasn't Tai because um, that's when I got my specific black belt. The one of the Tai Kai in, in uh, you know, no, it was that one. It was that one. Um, uh, Yamanaka Sensei, you know him, right? I mean, he's Hatsumi Sensei's favorite fall guy in Japan. Um, mm. He's actually a professional stuntman. You know what I'm talking about? Um, don't, I'm not guy, sure. Younger, Oh, gets, yes, yes. Yeah, you know uh-huh. what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, he gets tossed around a lot. I didn't uh, know he was a professional yeah. stuntman, though. <laughs> yeah, he's a professional uh, movie stuntman. And Hatsune huh. Sensei's made statements that he uses him as an uke because uh, Yamanaka doesn't break, which is the same reason why I use the uke that I use in my class. So, uh, but anyway, um, Yamanaka, uh, they, he was supposed to throw a punch at Hatsune Sensei, and he pulled the punch, or he veered it. Ooh. And Hatsune Sensei spent about, yeah, three minutes or so chastising him in Japanese. And you could see the, you know, I, I, I got the, you know, whatever. And then Hatsune Sensei and uh, Nagata Sensei spent the next 10 to 20 minutes having him punch at them. And under the guise of demonstrating where the art could go, they beat the crap out of him. For making a mistake. Now, personally, my own front, uh, I was at a uh, a seminar one time with with a teacher, and um, I'm so glad these people kept me on on track because, you know, I could have developed the same kind of false confidence that so many other people had. Um, But uh, we were doing a multiple attacker defense thing, and uh, one of my friends was in there as well, and so he grabbed my teacher from behind, that kind of thing, to immobilize, and I was supposed to punch my teacher in the face. Well, in that moment, my teacher realized the punch wasn't going to land, so he didn't move, and I missed. Like, mm. I didn't miss because he moved. I missed because I veered. And he stopped while my partner was still holding him fast, and his face changed, and he said, don't you ever, ever intentionally miss me ever again. There is no way for you to learn anything that you need to learn if you're going to have me demonstrate something against an attack that will never happen. Are we clear? Sir, clear enough. Right? Never pulled a punch ever again. Right? Um, but, um, you know, that, so there is that confrontation. There is that confronting of danger, that experience of being able to confront it and not – be fearless. This is not about being fearless. This is about acting in, in spite of the fear. But there's a tempering process to that. There's a there's a building of strength because you can handle conflict. You can have a discussion with somebody who has opposing ideas and 
you can walk away agreeing to disagree but still be friends. You know, mm-hmm. there's just there's this your world isn't wrecked because somebody believes something different than you do or you don't turn them into the ultimate enemy, which seems to be so fashionable these days. Um, some of the most calm, collected, peaceful people that I know are killers. And I don't mean criminal killers. I mean these people have the ability to take a human being apart in seconds. And they're, they are the funniest people. they got the best jokes. They, you know what I mean, they, they relax and enjoy life and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, there's no need to prove themselves. They don't puff their chest out. They don't, you know, just it's very different, right? It's very mm-hmm. different from that perception that this teenager had. Um, and that was reinforced when I got in those earlier martial arts because it was all about fighting, you know, and this is, a, this is all about living. This is, all, this is about living, and then the part that is about fighting isn't really about fighting or self-defense. It's about surviving danger so that you can get back to living. So yeah. uh, Jack Hoban had a really good uh, statement that I, I uh, heard. He had actually wrote this thing up. He uh, did a class for a bunch of Marines at Camp Lejeune, and he was talking about the warrior ethos. And he said, you know, uh, this would scare the average person, but uh, a true warrior is very, very balanced in that we can go to either side of the, of the sword blade and come back to center and be okay. And what that means is that uh, if we're attacked or if we need to act, we can do it very coldly and very efficiently. But we can let that go and go back to our loved ones and not have any of that showing, right? Hmm. And there's not a lot of martial artists can say that, right? They're either they either of the type that they don't have any violent bones in their body and it's a cool little fun recreation uh, hmm. or it's a play on pretending to have power, right? Or they've got an edge and everything's a freaking contest. Everything's everything's a, uh, a competition, right. you know? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You know, we, of course, we prefer to be um, the big, lovable, you know, porch dog or lap dog or whatever. Um, but if I have to do more than growl, it's not going to be pretty. But then I'm going to go back onto the carpet and go back in my nap. So, um, you know, he's really good stuff. And Jack, when I first met him, um, he was fresh out of the Marines. Yeah. Definitely the guy you wanted on your side. Well, I mean, he's still the guy you want on your side of the alley. But... Um, <laughs> And more of an edge. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wanted yeah. to get to this. Uh, you kind of referenced it a, a little bit ago, the the post that you had shared uh, on the Kudin podcast page from this uh, Mark McYoung. Um, and it just reads, you know, it's scary to me how many people who wanted to want to know how to defend themselves aren't interested in how not to provoke people. And um, you'd kind of posted that question up there, you know, how how would this uh, relate to the ninja's invisibility training? Uh, you know, is this a good topic for the show? This is, I think, from from maybe Josh had shared this. So, um, you know, you're yeah, kind this of yeah. This is one of the coming up during spring camp. So anybody that's going to make it, we're going to be immersing ourselves in a weekend of uh, the topic this year is power, stealth, and invisibility, and how they all relate to each other, um, and how they these topics. Uh, including the proper definition or perspective on power, right, um, is one of those one of those things that 
um, really separates Nijitsu, um from, you know, the competitive uh, sports thing or whatever. And it's not those people don't have talent. It's just it's just a different a different definition of it, right? So, um, how does this relate to it? Well, I'm going to call back to another quote, but this is actually from an old scroll. And it's a scroll that actually predates our nine lineages that was imported uh, through the, uh, you know, from India along the Silk Road into China, then eventually into Japan. And it's actually discussing the esoteric, uh, uh, we'll, call them, we'll call them side effects, right? In the, in the uh, sutras, they're called, um, what are they called? Not sadhanas. They're called, um, they are called talents. CDs. CDs. Um, and uh, so these, the, the, the things that we normally see as part of the kujis, right, um, the ability to heal self and others and, and all those kind of things, right? Uh, and one of them is invisibility, but the way it's described is invisibility in the eyes of the enemy, uh, invisibility in the eyes of your enemy. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what it really has to do with is uh, using the disguise and impersonation things and the Seishin Teki, personal clarity and personal development kind of thing, to be able to move freely in and around people that, uh, if you move differently, would be looking to stop you from attaining that which you were looking to, you know, from attaining your goals, right? So the whole idea here is how do you move around uh, and how do you do things in a way that you're just not perceived as an enemy? You're just you're just not perceived as a as a bad guy. Uh, and here's a quick here's a quick story that kind of relates. Uh, when you were still living in the area, and we had the dojo over in Sunbury, right, like three miles from here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And um, you know, so we were right there on the main street, and we had all kinds of characters walking by that door. I mean, our our town was not a it's not a bad town, but we were get there were some pretty bad elements moving in. I mean, there are now uh, gangs in the area that used to only ever be in big cities, right? Mm. So uh, we had everything from the uh, Bloods and Crips to the Latin Kings to I mean, all kinds of, you know, things, right? And so yeah. uh, I could walk out to the front door of the dojo and just kind of, you know, on a summer day, just kind of walk out uh, to the front walk and just kind of look up and down the street. And uh, two guys, because they always moved in, especially when their heads were up and all that, they always moved in pairs. Right. Mm. If they were solo, they didn't make any contact with you any more than anybody else did. So that was a neat phenomenon. But anyway, uh, two guys could walk by having the bandana hanging out of that back pocket or tied to an ankle or around their head or whatever that very clearly identified, you know, red goes with this gang kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And they would walk by and look at me and say, how you doing, Mr. Miller? How you doing today, sir? And I'd mm-hmm. say, great, guys. How are you? Good. Fantastic. They keep on walking, and there was this very polite respect. Right. Right? That I think would be very different if I was either the guy who uh, either didn't put himself out there or um, didn't walk the talk, right? So uh, there's one side, right? Um, Had that look in his eyes that said, um, I'm hoping you don't punch me. I'm hoping that hmm. my black belt or my discussion about my training is the thing that keeps you at bay. Or I wasn't the guy at the other side that was the hardened karate master with the chest puffed out and, you know, 
always giving people the evil eye because that's yeah. arrogant and it's that's going to trigger somebody. And I don't mean triggering people in the way that most people talk about triggering now. I'm talking about causing bad people to pull the trigger, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it's very different, right? So absolutely. So uh, now, was I invisible? No, it's very difficult to be invisible where I live because um, everybody knows who I am, right? Well, I'm on vacation, that's very different, that kind of thing, right? But um, this provoking thing, this is one of the first lessons that my new students get coming in the door during their intro class. And I discuss how Nijitsu was designed for the underdog to win against overwhelming odds. If you think about the history and the way things were laid out and certain battles and all that, uh, you know, uh, Igo Noran and and, uh, the the, uh, two times when... uh, uh, Udo Nobunaga took an entire freaking army up on Tsugakushi, uh, you know, to attack villages and, and stuff like that. Um, that, you know, respect is the first line of self-defense. This is one of those things that I cover up front, right? Um, mm-hmm. The way you carry yourself, your body language and all that, right? So uh, part one of the lesson is, for us, fighting should always come as an absolute last resort where you've got nothing else, Right? So, uh, but the, the big part of it is, is that if we don't give anybody a reason to want to take our heads off, it's not that we won't be attacked by anybody. That's, that's, uh, that's that passive uh, yeah, ideology yeah. that, you know, violence never solves anything, and that's just a bunch of crap, right? Um, if we don't give anybody a reason to knock our heads off or put a bullet or a blade or whatever in it, um, because of our facial expression, because of our attitude, because of our language, because of our body language, whatever, right? We don't give anybody a reason to do that. Then we're only ever going to have to worry about using our skills against people who are going to attack us because that's the way they are. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, they've identified me as a target. And for people who live around here, if they've identified me as a target, I'm in a world of hurt because – I'm, I'm not facing the person or people I think I'm facing. There's a whole bunch of other people I don't see yet. Would you agree? Mm. Yeah. If they knew who I am, right? So, yeah. uh, and it's not about if they knew who I am. It's not about that thing, right? If they know that I'm a martial arts teacher, uh, you know, bodyguard, all these kind of things, right, the odds are going to be stacked against me big time. No differently than they would be stacked against the average citizen who hasn't done any kind of training. The the, the the gulf between, uh, you know, the, the void between the two is still going to be just as big. The problem now is that these guys have the volume turned way up high because they're expecting more than just normal victim resistance. You know what I yeah. mean? So right. I'm more likely to be shot from across the street in a very impersonal way by somebody who wants me than for that same person to risk their own life and limb stepping up or being attacked in multiple attacker scenarios than a one-on-one kind of thing. And, Mm. you know, this is for everybody, right? If you're not the kind of person that hangs out in bars or, uh, you know, whatever, and you're not hanging out with the wrong kind of elements or you're not the provocateur, you don't got the chip on your shoulder or whatever, and you're um, a high-level practitioner, you need to consider this, Right? that the things you need to be training against now are not the things you trained against when you were a beginner or intermediate, low-level black belt or whatever. 
it is against multiple attackers, one or more of those people have weapons, or you're dealing with somebody who is attacking you from an unseen position. They're going to shoot you from across the street. They're going to stab you while walking by you without giving any any cues or clues, which is why we have the fifth done sensitivity training, uh, you know, detecting the force of the of the killer, right, being sensitive to Saki, at fifth done up through the upper high levels because, you know, getting the fourth done is dealing with, you know, attackers, multiple attackers and all that and getting some experience with that. But fifth down and above accepts the, the, the reality that the people who you need to be worried about in the higher levels are not going to project intention, right? Hmm. So you start off with being able to, to sense a lot of intention in a split second to continuing to progress on to where you don't, you don't pick up anything. But anyway, I'm, I'm dancing around this. So, um, but the big thing here is, you know, don't be, don't be the reason you needed to use your skills, right? Mm. I mean, this is a huge yeah. part of self-defense, right? I mean, we teach that in the um, eight phases of, of uh, effective self-defense strategy, right? Our eight phases, where it's general awareness and all this kind of stuff. But what, what even comes before that? Because, you know, normally we, we present that to people, but we have to let them know that there's a ground zero. There, there's a phase zero or a kind of a baseline, and that's the way we carry ourselves normally. So I guess that could be in with the general awareness thing, but I don't think so. I think that if we renumbered that, right, um, it would be different. But everybody wants to jump into, you know, how do I not die? Well, the first thing you do to not <laughs> die is not put yourself up as a target so that the only things you need to worry about are things where, you're just a part of the environment that they're blowing up or they're going nuts in, or uh, you're a, well, in today's world, you're a part of a socioeconomic, uh, gender, racial, pick a, pick a tag, right? You're a part of a group that they don't like one guy in that group, so they, you know, made it that everybody in that group is, is the bad guy as well. So, hmm. um, you know, and it's not that it's just a day thing. It's just extreme today because I remember yeah. being called a baby killer once because I was in the Army. Hmm. So that was for no other reason. I was just called a baby killer. Wow. Okay? Because I must be. All right. Fair enough. Okay? You have a nice day. So, um, so well, I guess the point with that is you'll always have assholes. That doesn't make an entire <laughs> group or human race, you know, uh, nuts or whatever. So, uh, I, you know, we, we cover this stuff a lot. We talk about uh, developing yourself and learning how to carry yourself uh, during the spring camp thing. We're really going to be going into the whole stealth and invisibility thing by uh, starting with the base lesson that Taijutsu, being a master of Taijutsu, is automatically by default being a master of stealth walking, mm-hmm. stealth, that kind of stealth movement. Not necessarily other things, but that's a good place to start, right? And then we can branch out to other things because the, the ultimate goal should just be to be you know, to be imperceptible, uh, and I don't mean stealth like sneaking around. I just mean just tur- turning yourself into into a very quiet person who touches mm-hmm. the world very lightly. You know, we cover that in Mikio, right? You don't blow out yeah. candles and incense because you make a freaking mess. That's the big thing, right? But you fan things out, right? You, you start to become, um, you know, very acutely aware of the consequences of certain types of actions. So you learn to walk more quietly, carry yourself more quietly, uh, even putting on your clothes, right? Practice 
doing it so that you get less of a ruffling noise because sound, that kind of sound comes from uh, friction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how to pick things up, how to put things down. I pick things up, I put things down. Anyway, so <laughs> um, just becoming more, uh, just becoming more quiet so that if you ever do need to use the stealth movements that we're going to be teaching during camp, um, you're already 90% there. Yeah. Right? Your muscles aren't going to tire out because now you need to move slowly and do this movement that, you know, you're really not conditioned for. And, uh, you know, you have to go from banging around in the world, but you just don't notice it, to moving in the world so that others don't notice. Mm-hmm. Right? So, uh, yeah, so this is this is related to, but it's also apart from. So, again, just like all the other parts of our training, there's overlap. But it is scary to me that, and I've had conversations with people, both through email and, and PM and, and through coaching calls and things, where, you know, the, one of the biggest things that I'm asked for on a regular basis is how to become the kind of person that doesn't flare up when somebody else flares in my direction. Mm-hmm. How do I not contribute to the mess? How do I not make something that could have been more easily handled? Um, you know, and I haven't put together a program for that yet. Um, but that's that's a huge thing for a lot of people. And for other yeah. people, all they've done is become the per- people that they were, that they began training in the martial arts to protect themselves against. Okay? They haven't spent nearly enough time on the personal development side on the not becoming a provoker or whatever. They started out that way. But as their skill and ability and power on the tiger side of training grew, the dragon side didn't. And then they end up becoming the bully that they were afraid of. But now they're even worse because now they have a scientific way of taking apart their victim. So they'll speak any way they want. They'll use whatever body language they want. They'll be indignant and things like that. And then if somebody calls them on them, they'll they'll say, What's he going to do? Punch me? I kick the shit out of him. So they become the very thing that they got involved, you know, and that's not everybody. That's just, I'm just pointing out a certain type of person. Um, so, yeah, this is all, this is all interconnected. And uh, I love Josh's questions because um, Josh is a, I can't remember, he's a psychologist, psychiatrist, I don't know, he's a head doctor. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we have good conversations about this stuff, you know, and he, he, you know, gets a chance to deal with the same kind of people I did. Now, he does it clinically, but uh, the same kind of people I did and the same kind of mentalities that I did when I wore a, a very different uniform. So um, those are always good things. But, you know, I, what I find is that if you really get involved in this training, and this is crossing over between what Steve and I are talking about and this thing, is that if you really get involved in the training to the depth that you should be, right, where mm. we're pulling out topics from the – uh, Ninja no Hachimon Gate 8, Ninja no Kyomon, all those topics that are outside yeah. of combat that make us a well-rounded person, right? You really get mm-hmm. involved in those kind of things, and you really immerse yourself, and you become an observer of life, including yourself, because that's part of the, the Shikiwo Shinobu, right, the perspective that reconciles what's going on, on the inside, what's going on, on the outside of the world, all that. You do that, um, whether you become an instructor or not, I find that you become very, very... Good. You may not know all the clinical terms and 
the official buzzwords and all that, but you become very good at being a psychologist, a sociologist, an mm. anthropologist, you know, uh, because as Hatsumi Sensei has said again and again, I was going to bring this up earlier, um, that this is about life. And the training, or Steve had mentioned it, that the training should mirror life, you know? So um, life is not all a bed of roses, and life is not all successes, right? So, you know, contrary to the to the push these days from some groups to make everything a utopia, um, I, good luck, right? Yeah. So unless you lock yourself away or go off and live in the woods, but then again, then what do you have to deal with? You have nature and weather and wild animals and, uh, you know, infections and all kinds of stuff to, to kick in. So I, I think it's a denial of human nature is what I think. So, mm. um, but anyway, that's, see, there's the philosophy side of it. There's <laughs> there's all this stuff, right? I didn't set out to do these things. I set out yeah. as a kid that got beat a lot, right, from this abusive stepfather and got beaten up by bullies a lot in school and then, you know, became a cop and, and realized that what they taught me for three days out of a given week for self-defense to get me, quote-unquote, certified for that part of my training so I could, you know, go on the street and <laughs> not die, okay? Um, you know, so I got involved in the martial arts um, for the self-defense side of things. Now, maybe I, I think the first round, you know, liking Kung Fu, uh, the TV show, and getting involved in martial arts that way, it was a need to feel more empowered. Hmm. But it was an empty empowerment because um, techniques alone can't do that for you, right? There had to be that tempering process from the constant confrontation of danger. And that doesn't mean I was confronting it like challenging my stepfather because he had beat me to the floor, right? But being confronted by it and, and not being able to run anywhere, not being able to escape, not taking the easy way out, you know, committing suicide or whatever, um, it, you know, it, it creates a certain type of strength. Um, mm. But, you know, we also can't lose ourselves in that kind of mentality either. So, you know, there's there's got to be this happy medium between having the skills and knowing when it's appropriate to use them, but not crossing that line to where everything becomes a challenge and because I have the skills, I'm willing to throw myself at danger. Or the other side, where I feel no sense of power at all, right? Um, I experience, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, spousal abuse on the other side. Or, you know, I hate my job, I hate my life, I hate my kids, I, you know, whatever, right? Um, so I get involved in martial arts as an escape as a way to pretend that for a little part of my life in a little environment called a dojo and all that, that I can feel a sense of empowerment. Um, it's not, it's not on either extreme. There's, you know, they have to come together to where you have both. Uh, and again, I think that they talked about that with the dragon realm and the tiger realm. Uh, Koteki Ryoda was a, a theme for one year where the, uh, hmm. the, the dragon and uh, tiger uh, are balanced, right? They're, they're together, but we hmm. know how to use each one appropriately in the context, right, on the right battlefield. So, uh, but and, and again, I, I covered this uh, during that class that I, that I did this morning. If people are interested, I, you know, I could, um, I'll, I'll be more than happy to share that that 
recording. See, people are, um, like I said, people are interested. Uh, but uh, uh, where's it going with that? Um, shit, I lost it. Um, <laughs> wait, I know this. <laughs> um, oh, just, you know, being able to just just have that balance, right? So you, you have yeah. both both handle, right? Uh, but you're not you're not bringing one set of skills. Oh, that's that's where it was. I'm back. Okay, so uh, <laughs> that confrontation confrontation with danger, right? Mm-hmm, isn't mm-hmm. just about somebody trying to punch you in the face or shoot you or stab you or whatever, right? Um, it's the kind of dangers and and fears, right? Fear of loss, mm. all that kind of stuff that come up when you're in relationships. The fear of enduring one that you don't want to, but you're afraid to be on your own because who else would want you or whatever the reasoning mm-hmm. would be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the fear of losing somebody that you really want to be around, even if they're abusive, right? Um, the uh, let's step out of relationships, right, and go to your work life, right, or to go to your finances or yeah. your ability to attain goals and how your own belief system shoots yourself in the foot before you even get started because, you know, I don't know, here's, here's an example, who are you to try to be something bigger or knowing my luck or, you know, the man is always going to hold me down. You know, I just don't have that lot in life. I was born this way and there's too many obstacles in my bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. how will you know your limitations unless you push your limitations? And if yeah. your limitations are always external, I would suggest that they're always internal because nobody can stop you that you don't allow to stop you. And if one person stops you, does that mean that that's your only avenue? If it is, then that's very short-sighted, limited thinking. Okay? Yeah. And this is not easy because we've, con- we've conditioned ourselves to be and think and act and plan and do, um, uh, you know, things a certain way because of our viewpoint and our perception. So if we want to change anything, we need to change our perception. Not as easily said than done, or easily, easier mm. said than done, but mm-hmm. the changing happens because we keep throwing ourselves into the ring and confronting those things and developing the strength and having minor successes and, yes, we'll have setbacks and all that kind of stuff, but not letting those things stop you, right? Living to the nin and what that character represents, perseverance, endurance, succeeding in the face of overwhelming odds, you know, living to things that people bandy around all the time, like the Nana Yorobi, what is it, the Nana Yorobi Yaoki, right, seven times down, eight times up, which is the Japanese thing for success, right? And it has nothing to do with seven or eight. It has to do with getting up one more time than you were knocked down. But Hmm. if you're going to stay down the first time you get knocked down, or not even that, if you're not even going to get close enough that you could get knocked down, the fear of getting knocked down is going to stop you, then there's no way in hell you're going to live to the to the potential that this art is supposed to be giving you. And it's really easy to see why most people gravitated to just doing the martial arts self-defense side of things because that's the easy part, right? No confrontation from danger, especially if you're doing soft training, right? But what if you have to confront your own ego like we do every time we go to Japan? And Mm. you go to the dojo that will provide the greatest degree of change and the greatest degree of of, uh, improvement because they're constantly highlighting your mistakes 
not congratulating you for your success. I don't yeah. drop four grand, and I drop way more than my students do, but I don't drop four grand at a time to go to Japan for them to tell me that I'm right. I want to fill a notebook <laughs> of all the freaking things I need to work on because I won't be back for six months to a year. And in right. this round, it's been a year and a half, almost two years. So I have to have plenty of notes to hold me over. Okay? So please, tell me no all the time. Yes, punch my ego in the face. It needs it. <laughs> and especially for instructors. Jesus, you know, you got all these students, you know, just in awe of how great you are. You need the balance. Go to Japan and get your ass kicked and stop just going to the places <laughs> where they tell you how good you are. Oh, and by the way, give me $300, I'll give you another round. Uh-huh. Okay, that's just, that's just more ego stroke. Right? Yeah. I get promoted, and it's just a heart-sinking shit. <sighs> God, i got to come up with another $300, and I haven't even caught up to where I am now. So, great. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's part of the test as well. You know, uh-huh. what are you going to do with it? We're going we're gonna to tell you how great you are. Now what are you going to do with that? Right? Right. So, you know, so anyway, uh, yeah, this is all good stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, so part of the thing there with the not provoking people, yeah, that's part of the invisibility thing. Uh, but at the same time, it's also just being, learning to be a lady or a gentleman, which was a lesson to me that they wrote about a long time ago, that being mm-hmm. called a ninja is being called a true lady or gentleman because of all of these um, skills. And if you think about it, you think about the difference between the ninja's uh, way of thinking and carrying themselves and the samurai's enforced code of of, Mm, uh, action and etiquette and all that, right? One person is polite and humble because they have to. The other one is polite and humble because they choose to be. Or Mm -hmm. actually, they don't even think about it. Just the way they live. Right, but right. don't push them in the wrong direction. Right, so uh, yeah, this is all good stuff. This is a good show. This is, this is forty-nine, yeah. dude. This I know. 49. One more. One more. One and it's the 50. big five-zero. No, I've got James working on getting us on on iTunes and stuff. So I don't cool. know if we're going to be on iTunes five fifty because I've heard that the iTunes um, uh, uh, please call the verification or the acceptance uh, yeah. thing can the take The approval weeks. process, yeah. Yeah, the approval process can take weeks, but that's okay. Um, I still think the T-shirt is cool, and people will just have to hunt for us on iTunes until we show up. <laughs> uh, but it, it should be happening soon. But uh, we we uh, got a program to tie into things and all that, and it's set up to not only get us on iTunes, but to get us on Google Play and uh, a site called Smashwords, all these really big players. That will literally put us in front of thousands, if well, not even thousands. I was going to say uh, hundreds of thousands. It'll put us in front of millions of people. Okay? It's up to them awesome. whether they're going to subscribe to the to the podcast. But wouldn't that be freaking awesome, right? That would give a bunch of people that uh, that may or may not follow us um, a run for their money because uh, you know we'd be getting that by, by its very nature would be getting you know more proactive people. We'd also be getting yeah. a lot of people. Who'd be, tuned in for the entertainment because you and I are just funny. <laughs> but anyway, then that's how we balance out serious conversations, right? 
That's right. Anyway. Well, we have just like two minutes left, but I think that's enough time to quickly address Christopher's question that he asked so long ago, five and a half hours ago. (laughs) He gets his questions in early, but uh, he was asking about um, a couple of the the ninja fists, the Shishin Ken and the Shitan Ken, and what exercises uh, you'd recommend to strengthen the fingers and joints. And those are those, you need their single finger strike or that kind of uh, spear hand uh, collection of fingertips strike and uh i thought that was a great question uh that he asked about just how to train that up uh strike things more (laughs) i was thinking too just hit some stuff (laughs) just you know that's what they did in the old days right like just go go (laughs) find a tree and start poking the tree with your finger until it yeah so here's the thing right here's an exercise for everybody because i think a lot of these lessons have just fallen into uh, nobody's heard them (laughs) because like you know (laughs) I've been training in this art since 1980, 81, and most people's instructors have not been alive that long. Um, so uh, one, of the, one of the first things we had to learn was not just how to make the fist, but what target types or what body areas those fists were best designed for. Mm-hmm. Okay? So Shishin Ken specifically is used for uh, – very soft targets. So you have everything from hard targets to uh, semi-hard to uh, soft targets, right? To uh, or to semi-soft targets to soft targets. So hard targets would be like your skull, right? Mm-hmm. Or hitting the, the breastbone or something like that, right? So or the jawbone. So it's a it's a hard bone, and so the fist has to be suited to hit that and not collapse or break. Okay, and then you have semi-hard. So that's a broad area of muscle over a skeletal thing. So, uh, you know, like the thigh muscles, the, uh, the pec muscles, right, the lat muscles on the back, those kind of things, uh, the trap muscles at the neck, right? So uh, these are semi-hard. Sometimes you can say semi-soft or whatever, but it's a it's bone with a layer of muscle over top, but it's a considerable layer of muscle, okay? So there's other fits for that. Semi-soft is um, areas that are that there's less bone or there's more padding, right? Mm. So semi-soft would be like the neck, the throat, uh, the gut, uh, the hip joints, those kind of things where, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're not striking right into bone. There's more padding, but, you know, you can use something that's what we might consider to be a weaker fist. Like I wouldn't. Well, I would because of the conditioning, but uh, the, mo- the average person wouldn't think of striking the skull with a shishin ken. Okay? And when most people think of shishin ken, uh, finger needle, they think of the, the typical picture that's shown, which is the little finger extended, but shishin ken is actually any single finger or knuckle, right? But I'll strike the, the skull with a, with a uh, little finger, uh, not just the knuckle, but the little finger just because of the conditioning. Um, but, uh, again, you want to, you know, in the very beginning, you want to you want to be able to match up the fist with the target, which now gives us a reason to learn so many fists and not just quote that we have so many, but we're only going to practice with a couple because that's all that keeps showing up in kata or whatever, right? Mm. So, uh, so there's that. And then soft targets are ones that are very, very squishy, very sensitive, right? 
So we're talking about the armpit. We're talking about the, uh, the stomatic, we, what we often call the ninja notch, right? Uh, the, the side of the mouth or the lips, the gums, the eyeballs, right? Um, not just the eye sockets, but the eyeballs, right? The nostrils themselves. Uh, these are things that Shishin Ken and, and some of these other ones are best used against. But my thing is, uh, with, with ones like this, with Shitan Ken, which is uh, the uh, finger spear, give or take, uh, rough translation, it's, um, it's any three or four fingers together and reinforced. So if we made a knife hand but didn't think of chopping and we just turned the hand so it was pointing out, right, now we've got a Shitan Ken without even moving our fingers around, right? Um, so that one's actually for uh, semi-hard and semi-soft targets, where Shishin Ken is for soft and very soft or, uh, uh, yeah, very soft targets, right? Yeah. Squishy things, right? So uh, my suggestion is to start with something like a, like a, a square striking target or a pillow or something like that, or even take a, 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 a dish towel or a bath towel or a hand towel, whatever, and fold it over and put it, you know, on the floor or a table or whatever and start striking into that. Um, and then as you get to a point where the finger's not folded, right, you're able to maintain that structure, right, and you're able to hit fairly decently, then lessen the padding, increase the strength, or increase the uh, the solidity of the target, right? Uh, but remember that you don't have to build that up to where you can strike a hard target, right? The fists are they're just better suited for certain things. Uh, it's kind of like when people, when people ask me what my favorite handgun is or what, you know, whatever. I don't have a favorite. Okay? My handguns are selected, or any weapon is selected based on the mission or based on what it is that I'm doing. So if I'm pulling a security detail and I'm going to be in a suit, but I need to have a presence of force, then I'm going to have my 44 revolver in a shoulder rig under my arm because it creates a bulge. I'm going to have something else, one or two things, uh, somewhere else on my body. But if I need to be presenting that as a first line of security because that's my job, then, yes, I want it chilling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got something big. If I'm doing a courier thing to where the person's going to get up, and up, up close and personal with me or, let's say, I'm teaching my daughters, right? I'm, I'm telling my daughters they don't need anything bigger than a, than a 32 um, if they want to get a 380, that's fine, but it tends to be too big. Um, they don't need anything bigger than a 20, uh, 22, 25, 32, something like that, because their typical attacker is going to get up close and personal with them, and they can put that muzzle up against an armpit or side of a neck or whatever, and you don't need it. You don't need anything bigger than that. Chances mm-hmm. are they're not getting into a firefight, right? right. So, it's, you know, uh, this, this idea of having favorites is so counter to the ninja mindset, it's, it's ridiculous, right? Can you have favorites and can you, you know, have preferences just because you're drawn in that direction? Yeah, but don't treat those weapons like they're favorites. You can enjoy training with that more than other ones, but that doesn't mean that this, your skill with those should be better than others, right? It's just, yeah. You can't have favorites. You can't have a, a, a strong side and a weak side, right? It's just it's counter to the ability to move freely and to be effective. Right. With yeah. whatever you have. Okay. So I think yeah. another uh, one so, of the little notes I'd, I'd have on that one for Christopher and anybody else listening to is if you're if you come across these these fists from books, uh, kind of what I've seen, at least in some of the books I've seen, that's not really stressed. But the lateral pressure of your thumb 
against the side of your knuckle uh, and the other fingers in your fist really reinforce that single finger or the row Absolutely. of fingers. Sure it that. does so Make much, sure and, and it's a really cool trick, but you got to have that lateral pressure of, of that on, on the side to really well, take it all Well, the other thing, too, up. is how you're directing the energy through the muscles uh, as well, because uh, case in point, with the Shikan Ken, the, uh, the chisel fist, we often call it, right? Shikan Ken. Mm-hmm. Um, by and large, most people make that fist absolutely wrong, the way they form it. It's not that it doesn't look like the picture. It's the way they move their fingers or their hand and the bone structure and the muscle to, to end up with that position. Okay? Most people curl their fingers back to put it into that, into that position, and the joints aren't reinforced. They're not locked in place. Okay? What you're supposed to do is extend the first set of metacarpals, the first set of finger bones, out like you're launching a torpedo out of a submarine. So you project it out, and the energy sent down the arm and out through the knuckles in a straight fashion. The muscles that are being used operate very differently and anchor and reinforce things in position very differently than if you curl your fingers back into position. It's a completely different set of muscles. Okay? So it's the same thing with Shishin Ken. It's not just a matter of straightening your finger and then putting it up against the ring finger to reinforce it. It's what you're doing with the joint in the finger and the joint where the, where the second metacarpal, um, you know, the, the finger bone at the base, at the knuckle, plugs into the hand. There's a very specific thing that you're doing to push that tip away from your hand while simultaneously reinforcing it against the rest of the fingers that creates a much stronger uh, fist then if you just make it straight, try to, quote-unquote, stiffen it up, which actually hyperextends the, the joint in the opposite direction, right, mm-hmm. instead of unilaterally securing it all the way around. I know, $50 words and a $5 mouth, right? Anyway, mm-hmm. um, there's and, and you need to play around with this because it's a feel. I can only use certain words to kind of explain what it is that I'm doing, and I can only show it. But this is where experience comes in. You're going to have to play around with it. You're going to have to make mistakes. You're going to have to strike something and cause your finger to fold and, and realize, nope, that's not it, okay, and, and get it, you know, to where uh, you, you understand what that feels like tactically, right? Yeah. Not tactically, but tactically <laughs> so that it can be employed correctly, tactically, and strategically in any technique that you may need to use it in, right? So... Uh, yeah, absolutely. So the reinforcement of it, both using the rest of the hand and in how you fire those muscles to get things to to line up correctly, uh, is just it's super important. And I don't know about all this uh, soft target business. If you can't put your pinky through a two by four, don't don't come talk to me. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But actually, <laughs> with, with, um, and for people that that tell me they've read the Ninja Two History Tradition and, and all these books and all that kind of stuff, this I'm not teaching you anything that's not in this book. Okay. Yeah. The stuff we're yeah. talking about right now with the fist, with the hard target, semi-hard, semi-soft, and soft, is in Ninja Two History and Tradition mm-hmm. because there's multiple chapters, one on each fist, and it specifically tells you in there what targets these are best used against. So everybody has has access to these things, and it's there, right? If you don't just read it once and think that you're going to absorb everything from whatever level of understanding you're at at that moment, and you go back and you read and you reread and you don't lose your books and things like that because, as Hudson says, they pointed out, the books and videos of today 
should be seen in the same light and with the same reverence as the scrolls that everybody wished they could get their hands on. Because scrolls were the way the past masters passed on the lesson. Today, books and video is the way teachers are passing it on in this generation because we have the technology now that they didn't have back then. So be careful that you're not, you know, you're not confusing one thing with another. You know, there's this museum piece of shorthand that, yes, is, you know, in our tradition, it's a, it's a sign of authority and, and things like that. But how is that any different than Hatsumi Sensei's uh, newsletters that he used to put out, Ketsuzan and Sanyaku and the mm. books that he's publishing and all, and all these little, all these avenues of, of training and knowledge and insight and all that, that, you know, um, it's all right there, you know? Yeah. Of course, I guess maybe that's the problem. It's all right there, and it can be overwhelming. <laughs> sure. But you don't need it all. Have you know one book will last you for a long time if you understand how to use it. You're not just reading from front to end, front to back, and go, oh, yeah, I have that one. Oh, yeah, I read that one. Oh, I have no <laughs> idea where it is at the moment. But, okay. uh, my first copy of Need to History and Tradition, which I'm holding in my hand right now, um, there's actually plastic hanging off of it because I wore through it so much coming up through the ranks that the binding was going to come apart, and I had access to uh, lamination. So I laminated the book, just the cover, so it would stay mm-hmm. together, and now the lamination is coming off. It's that, <laughs> it's that used. Yeah. Right? So, um, yeah. Um, That's cool. Make sure you have access to them. And make sure you make use of them. So, cool beans. Anything else? Yeah. No. Yeah, that really takes up our yeah, time here for today. That's 49 in the can. That's 49. And I don't mean in the, the can, but I mean get ready to flush. Well, maybe some people <laughs> would want to flush it. So. Uh, anyway, I'm looking forward to getting onto iTunes and uh, Google Play and all that kind of stuff because the, the subscriber base is going to go out the freaking wazoo. Yeah, um, that'll be cool. And, of course, you know, you do understand that you and I also run the risk is getting more exposure also means that we're going to get more people jumping on here telling us that we're just screwed in the head and, and all that kind of stuff, which is... Oh, that's what I'm looking forward to, that, like, hate too. mail. I was like the, yeah. That was like the person that had a problem because we called it an online radio show because of the format <laughs> and not just the podcast, right? Remember that? Oh, we had a yeah. heyday with yeah, that. Yeah, that yeah. was awesome, you know? <laughs> Please. But see, this is, that, this is that being okay with experiencing yeah. the confrontation of danger, right? Mm-hmm. Because if somebody brings up an argument and, you know, whatever... And that that also means that they will not subscribe or unsubscribe or run away or tell other people, but they could also convince other people that believed me last week but won't believe me after this guy's thing. And, okay, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Okay? So I'm okay with that. I'm not doing this because I need admiration. I'm doing this because I wanted another avenue to get things out to people and for some people, video doesn't work for them. For other people, the written word doesn't work for them. For other people, you know, whatever, right? So yeah. I think I have my bases covered now. We've got video, we've got audio, we have written. So um, I'm good, right? If those things don't establish enough uh, credibility that I might be somebody they want to train with um, or, you know, that they're, they uh, don't get anything from me that's valuable enough that they can take back and ask questions to their teacher, or give them a better understanding of what they should be looking for in a program to get what it is that they're looking for. They don't have to train with me, right? If, if 
that's not a value to them, then I'm okay with them not being here. And I think you're the same way. So yeah, um, yeah. And if nothing else, we'll laugh. So you know, even if I get irritated now, I'll laugh later. So, um, but I, I tend, <laughs> right. tend to not get irritated because somebody has an opposing view from me, right? I get irritated when the person with the opposing view hasn't done the same amount of uh, research or they don't have the same kind of knowledge base or they don't have the same kind of real-world experience using this stuff, and they're trying to come at me as though they do. Hmm. That's what irritates me because that, you know, that just forces me into a situation because it's my venue, right? I, I, otherwise, I'd just hang up. But it forces me into a position where I have to uh, deal with this but I feel like I'm, uh, I'm I'm in a battle with a handicapped person because mm. they don't have the same kind of background. If they right. do, then absolutely, let's discuss this, right? Mm-hmm. If, you know, mm-hmm. they've been to different classes than I have, and I've brought this up in, in things where people have, have mentioned things, right? And I'll say, I haven't read that book or I haven't been to that class. What mm-hmm. I have been exposed to is this, and, you know, and I guess if I were going to sound arrogant, I'd go, since it's my podcast, it's my perspective, <laughs> but how can I speak outside of my own perspective and my own experience? So, yeah, you know, yeah. it is what it is. So, uh, cool. But I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, uh, that's going to be a, the, the next big thing. So, I hope it everybody stays on and, and focuses, uh, you know, stays with it and, and grows with us. And I, I hope, uh, you know, folks uh, are able to make it in for spring camp because we're going to be, again, working with lessons and perspectives and all that, that in all honesty have not been taught in quite a while. There's little pockets in the Bujinkan, Ninjutsu, martial arts world where these things come up every once in a while. Right? Mm-hmm. We're going to spend a weekend diving into these topics. So, um, and the other thing, and I, 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 I may have to seriously upgrade the uh, bandwidth and internet here at the school. And I have to figure out how, what that's going to cost and all that. But um, uh, I'm moving in the direction of trying to make this uh, thing set up so that we can do this seminar um, live. Oh, we cool. can do it uh, as a as a cyber thing, so people can actually sign on for the eighteen hours that we're you know we yeah. do live for the whole thing. You know, I've so, seen that I've seen uh, that done before. Something you know maybe through a feature of Facebook where you get access to the page when you purchase in, and then you can you can access the whole feed or something like that right. through throughout the whole thing. That's cool. Right. Yeah, and my my problem here is that uh, we've tried doing some Facebook Lives, just as little snippets during seminars, and yeah. uh, if the bandwidth sw- changes or if something changes in the process, everything gets kind of rough and garbled and, you know, whatever. Right. I don't know that we've ever been dropped, but uh, it's, you know, it's the type of building we're in. It's the, the type yeah. of upload, download kind of thing that we have going on and all that. So uh, it's, it's a whole other venture as well. So. Uh, now, that being said, it would not be just open to whoever. People would have to register um, to be on that just like they do for camp. So, uh, you know, and I think it's, well, I think it's fair. People don't have to think it's fair. Uh, but, you know, um, you and I know how much it costs for me to do these things. This is yeah. not a free endeavor, right? I mean, I pay for everything from mailing list services to uh, this instant teleseminar uh, platform that this stuff goes out on, uh, all this stuff, right? So yep. while people can sign in and listen for free, this is not a free thing, right? 
and to do that for 18 hours over the course of a seminar, it may not cost the same as being here live. Well, it definitely wouldn't because you wouldn't be paying for hotel and airfare and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, it's there would be something to help me offset that. Okay? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, I can hear people already. Oh, man. <laughs> just like, you know, be cool, man, and just, like, give it away for free because, you know, knowledge should be free. Um, huh. Yeah, you pay for everything either in dollars or uh, hands-on or school of hard knocks, that kind of experience. Everything gets paid for, right? And what I have found is through my – it hasn't been 43 years of teaching. I've only been teaching since, what, 1980. Five, six, something like that. Um, the people that have paid the least amount for training don't put as much effort into their training and quit sooner. Oh, and they complain more than those who actually pay more. Right. right? That is that is that is my experience. They complain more, they quit sooner, and they don't practice nearly as much. So, go figure. Right. So they're the ones that, oh, I want it. I'll be your prodigal son. I'll be the best student you've ever had. Hello, where'd he go? Right, so uh, either way. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let me just do right. this so I, I, feel, I feel fair at this. Just I'm going to un, unmute um, Steve just for a moment because I know he's been chomping at the bit about something. He can't help himself. Ah. And then we need to jump off here because they're going to boot us off. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve! Hey. Any questions or comments? Or since you were live and you waited patiently, actually you didn't wait patiently. <laughs> I had to, I debuted it. So, any questions or comments before we wrap this up? Nope, it all sounded good. It sort of reminds me of uh, the things that are the best in life are a lifestyle. It's something that you make a part of you. You integrate it into you. And that's why I look Absolutely. at Ninja Two and of course the other areas of faith that I've talked to you about. That's my comment. Enjoyed it all. Thank you. There you go. And cool. what I would add to that is um, the, the and actually this runs full circle because Eric, you were talking about the 43 years all you know early on and and yeah. uh, something to staying power. And I mentioned those different time time frames and all that. The uh-huh. people that end up staying the longest are the ones that make the transition between this is something that I do and this is part of who I am. When it yeah, becomes yeah. a part of who you are, you miss it when you're not doing it. Tell me I'm wrong. Right. Go ahead. Tell me I'm wrong. Absolutely. You miss it when you're, nope, you're, you're not wrong. Like you're, you're right. There's some part of your life that was just cut away, right? So yep. when you make the transition between this being something you do and this being part of who you are, there, 43 years will be nothing because nobody could offer you any amount of money to not do this. No. Nope. It's, yeah. it's just unthinkable, right? So yep. anyway, that being said, yep. we'll let them training group. hang with them and uh, <laughs> we'll start getting set to do uh, – we, we should come up with something really awesome. Oh, by the way, I'm lining up some uh, guests uh, uh, to be on the show for after our 50th. So I figure, you know, okay. you and I will move it up to the 50, but I'm uh, lining up a couple of friends who have uh, not just lots of experience in this art, but also in other martial arts. Uh, they're police officers – well, some are police officers. Other ones are doing other things. But uh, bodyguard work, all that kind of stuff, just like when we had George on, real-world experience um, at dealing with the things that people think they're training to be able to handle. So, Wow. Uh, yeah. 
they'll be powerful stuff. And these, these cool. are guys that I've known my entire training career. So um, good stuff. Well, barring any scheduling conflicts, uh, 50 should be next week. Should be next week. We'll see if some, who knows, right? Next week, if not, it'll be the week after. But uh, if all goes well, it'll be next week. And, uh, yeah, we'll It'll, it'll we'll definitely be the next time we do this program. Tell your friends that if you're we'll listening in or whatever, feel, feel free to share this stuff with anybody that's outside the loop and invite them in, send them the recordings. I, I'm okay with that stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's being put out as a free resource. So, by all means, share the stuff spread around. It right? I'd love to like the flu. <laughs> spread What's it that? like the spread flu. Spread it like the flu. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Okay. Just, that, just cough you know, on somebody. Remember the Ninja Star thing that Chelsea posted on there that, you know, why did why are you, did Ninja get kicked out of Hollywood because <laughs> they were throwing yeah. stars? And yeah. you posted that little video of the head slap uh-huh. thing. I know. Yeah, that, you, just, you, just equal, you just leveled the playing field. Nice. <laughs> head slap. All right. Let's wrap this up. Cool. Thanks for joining us. All right. Today. Yeah, thanks for being here and all the great questions. And we'll see you next time for the 50th episode of Kuden. Thank you for listening to KUDEN, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.